Family Believe. This is Pastor Nicole, and I want to take time to invite you to a very special time of reflection on Good Friday, April 7th. It's going to be running from 4 to 8, and you already know that if you were here last year, it's amazing, and you've got to come back for another chance. We've changed some of the stations around, and we're putting a little different spin on it, but it's for you and the whole family. So be sure and bring them. You can come at any time from 4 to 8 and walk through at your pace. It's something to enjoy for the entire family, and there's one station that might be a little too much for younger kids, and we've got something especially for them too. Please come on out and enjoy this time. I know you're gonna love it. Hey, I want to remind you about Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, we have two services, seven o'clock, that's a miracle and a communion service. And I'll tell you, I'm expecting God to see miracles that Sunday. I want you to bring the sick, those that are hopeless, those that are helpless, and let's see what God will do in a time that we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. That is on Easter at 7 o'clock. And then we have Panera Bread that's going to be serving a continental breakfast uh, for us in between services. Then at 10 o'clock, we're going to have a great celebration of Jesus' resurrection. So please come out and be a part of it. I'm looking forward to being with you and celebrating our Savior's victorious resurrection. Well, hello. Welcome to church. How many of you are excited to be here tonight? Amen. I don't know about you guys, but I love midweek service. I love small groups. How many of you are loving your small group? That's awesome, right? All right, so if you're a first-time guest, I would just like to welcome you. There's a card on the back of the pew if you'd like to fill that out or a QR code you can scan. But we'd love you to come out to the Welcome Center. We'd like to meet you, get to know you tonight. So if you'd like to, you can fill that out. Come meet us. We would love to. Um, the next thing I have is we have prayer cards. So they're going to go around and pass them out if you would like to put down a prayer request. Now what I'm leading that into is... We have a prayer day on the first Saturday of each month. Now, how many of you came out to the 21 days of prayer? It was awesome. It was an awesome time, and you saw all these prayer requests line this altar, and we took time to pray for each other, and it was an awesome time. So on those Saturday mornings at the first Saturday of the month, we are going to be coming together, praying just like we did for the 21 days of prayer, and just lifting up these prayer requests together and coming together as a body of Christ. Because here only believe we pray first, amen. And so the power of prayer is so important. So I encourage you guys, come out to that Saturday. It is an awesome time together. So can you guys get on your feet with me tonight? Yes, Lord Jesus, we welcome you in this place tonight, God. We are so thankful we can come here and gather and worship your name and learn more about you, Father. And so I pray tonight, Lord, we would lay aside every burden that's hindered us throughout this week, Father, and we would just lay them at your feet and surrender to you tonight, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for each and every single thing you're doing in this service tonight, God, that chains will be broken, God, that hearts will be healed, Father. And I just thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in this place tonight. I thank you for what you're going to do in small groups tonight, Father, as we come together, Lord Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for just your presence, your sweet, sweet presence in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
deeper still so i'm going deeper deeper still into your love because your love keeps going deeper deeper still you're calling me deeper deeper still so i'm going deeper deeper still
Good evening, family. Um, guys, God's so good. He, he's just so good. And it just, it overwhelms me sometimes. See, I'm, I'm down here praising and I'm thinking about, God, you know, I just, I want your voice to be heard and not mine. And he said, okay, we're going to change everything you planned. So bear with me. Um, and he reminded me of when my husband and I were first married. Our very first year of marriage, uh, we were both going to college full-time. Um, I was working maybe 15 hours a week at a minimum wage job um, as a lifeguard in Lima, which was scary enough, because it was. Um, and he was working as much as he could at McDonald's, and we were trying to make ends meet. And there was no way that we were going to make ends meet. And there was a time, I believe it was in November of that year. We looked at the bank account and we looked at, okay, we have electric due this week. We've got rent due this week. We desperately need groceries, but we just got paid and it's time to tithe. Now, if you've talked to me for more than five minutes, you probably know that I'm not very good with money. I'm, I'm not. I also asked to order a pizza that day, but I'm, I'm not very good with money. I'm just not. He is though, thank the Lord. But without hesitation, without hesitation on either of our parts, me being terrible with money, him being incredible with money, neither of us said, we can't afford to tithe this week. And that has nothing to do with us, y'all. That has everything to do with Jesus. Because that's not normal ways to think. Oh, we don't have enough money to put food on the table. We, were, we did the math. I believe we had $13. After we paid tithe, we had $13 for our $150 electric bill and our groceries, and rent was due the next week. But that was after tithe. And can I tell you that the Lord put it on my spirit to write the check for electric, write the check for rent, then go buy yourself groceries. That account didn't even come close to zero. I don't even remember how he did it, but he did it because he's good. It had nothing to do with me. Like I said, I was making eight fifty an hour if I was lucky. God's so good and he provides for us and he wants to show us that love. And so as you prepare your tithe and offering tonight or whenever you get paid, remember, that it's not about us. It's not about how much money you can afford to put in that bucket. It's about the faith behind trusting him with it. It's his anyway. 
So I'm going to pray. If you would please get out your tithe and offering and bring the buckets down. Um, Jesus, I thank you for how faithful you are. I thank you that you are good to a thousand generations. I thank you that we don't have to worry as your children because you provide for us no matter what it looks like on paper. So Jesus, I pray over this tithe and offering, I pray that it would bring glory and honor to your kingdom. And I thank you that yours is the only name that's gonna be glorified tonight. I pray that you would use this to further your kingdom, God. And I pray that we would all learn something and grow, whether in service or in small groups tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite everybody of you that, everybody here that feels like they are called into a fivefold ministry, really any type of ministry, uh, if you can, uh, would like to come and join me for a lunch meeting uh, about the fivefold ministry. We're going to have uh, people that are to answer questions and so forth, uh, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles. April the 16th, right after church. And some of the pastors from the church will be here, uh, and uh, we'll be discussing about some things that will help you with your call and uh, help you not be despised by those around you because you got called. Okay, let's move on. All right, tonight I want to talk about something we don't hear much about today. Uh, I want to talk about the doctrine of worsening, the doctrine of worsening. Now, we as Christians sometimes don't know how these things come up on us or how they get started, but we're going to talk about that. Uh, the, process, uh, the doctrine of worsening, worsening is simply the process of becoming worse. That makes sense. And then a doctrine is a set of beliefs held and taught from a biblical point of view. Doctrine is not what we think. Doctrine is not what we perceive. Doctrine is not what we feel. Doctrine is found in the Scriptures. And it is an established truth as solid as what we would call the Rock of Gibraltar. Is not going to move. It's not going to change. Doctrine is steadfast. Therefore, we can build on it. Somebody came up to me one time years ago, and they said, uh, well, you're pretty fundamental. I said, I want to thank you so much. 
You know, most people call me crazy, way out there. I want to thank you. I've been striving to be fundamental. Now, they meant it as an insult. But see, people want things that are new. You don't need anything new when you aren't even using what you have. Uh, there was a lady that uh, said she didn't buy her kids new toys all the time. She just kept changing them every couple of weeks. They thought they had new ones. Well, that's kind of like Christians sometimes. We get tired, familiar, bored. We've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it, but what we haven't realized that unless it has transformed our life, we haven't heard it. Unless it penetrates the human heart and transforms a human life, we have not heard what is being said. And so, a, a truth is as solid as the unmovable rocks of the foundations of our earth on which we are to build, continue to add to, and to continue to lay upon the doctrines that are found upon Scripture, line upon line, little by little, here a little, there a little, and precept upon precept. We build a life of God that becomes unshakable. Now, when we are young, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, we're going to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. That's because we are not skilled in the use of having something unmovable established in our life. Doctrine is very important. It's not just the truth. It's not just uh, cliches. It's just not, well, I believe this and I believe that. Doctrine is something that shapes your relationship with God and causes you to flourish in the faith towards Christ Jesus. Now, this, there, uh, this is the way also we could call like backsliding. If you ever get worse than you were when you got saved, it's a good indication you've backslid. What does backsliding mean? Backsliding means that you're one place and you slide back to another place. Now, some would say, well, I don't believe in backsliding because I believe in once saved and always saved. And that is a great way of thinking. It just isn't scriptural. Because the Bible says he that committeth sin becomes a servant of sin. The Bible says that every man is tempted by his own lust, and when it's conceived, he's led astray, and it produces sin. Every type of disobedience is sin. And so for us to say that, well, we're once saved and always saved, I would say make sure that you live like it. Don't do anything. And we know the people that say, well, once saved and always saved, uh, they would say, well, if somebody sinned, they really weren't saved. Well, how do we know that anybody is saved then? By your fruits, they will know you. And so we as Christians understand that there 
is no such doctrine that uh, really is scripturally founded about not losing your salvation. Remember, we need to set aside the weight and sins that do so easily beset us. Folks, we have to be aware that there is danger lurking in the shadows of temptation. And we don't take it for granted. This is a warfare. This is a fight for eternal life. And so, when we think about all this stuff, what we want to do, we want to realize that when people begin the path of worsening, then what happens is they are simply taking the path of a backslider, taking the path of, if you don't believe in, uh, you know, that you could lose your salvation, tell that to the seven churches in Revelation. They were hell-bound and didn't even know it. So, we know that sin is powerful, and we want to stay away from from it. Amen? So, Satan knows how to draw people away from God. People just are ignorant of his devices. Now, we're not supposed to be, but we are. But we have to rise up, and we got to raise the level, the standard of the value of of righteousness and holiness. Because without those two, we are not going to see God. Well, God understands I'm just human. You aren't just human. You're born again. You're a child of God. There's nothing common about you since you've been washed in the blood of Christ. Amen? There's nothing common about you. You don't think like the world. You shouldn't talk like the world. You shouldn't act like the world. You shouldn't respond like the world. You are to live in the power of the Holy Ghost and produce fruits thereof, proving your identity. All righty. Uh, let's uh, look at some of these things that a lack of using your faith is one of the first steps to worsening backsliding, or what we would call apostasy. What is apostasy? Apostasy is a falling away of the faith that was once delivered to you. The apostasy. Now, to show you that that can happen, let's go to Matthew, the 19th chapter. Matthew, the 19th chapter. And I realize this is talking about divorce, and uh, we don't want to ever mention those words. Phyllis and I decided years and years ago that divorce was not a part of our vocabulary. We can think about it, can't talk about it, can't do it. If you are so directed to get possessed with thoughts of divorce, 
I would encourage you, don't do it. And I would about this place, about this time in my message, say, kill them. You can have a ministry. But I don't think that either one of those are uh, acceptable to God. And let's look at verse uh, 4. Have you not read that he that which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. They said unto him, why did Moses give us commandment to give a writing of divorce and to put her away. And he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, he suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. That was not God's intention. And it says, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now think of what Jesus said and how we have interpreted that. Jesus said, if a man puts away a woman and divorces her, and she marries another, he puts her in the place of committing adultery. And then it says, and he who marries her commits adultery also. So you realize that when the priest stands in front of these two people and pronounces them one flesh under the guidelines of the law of Moses. In other words, the law of God. God gave them a writing of divorcement because of the hardness of their what? Heart. Heart. He had to do that because without that, man would end up being separated, being angry, defiled, vindictive, divisive, and so forth, and probably would go astray from his marriage vows and end up marrying another, uh, having a relationship with another. Now, God did not want man to live under the curse. So the only way to get man out from under the curse is to give him a law that he could live by or a law that he could experience the goodness of God through, even though he could not keep the original law because of the weakness of his flesh, Romans 8, 1 and 2. Now, Jesus says, put them together, let them be married, but if they do, they will commit adultery. What do you think that means, David? 
So you think that if a woman did what God told her to do, and then, and he told her in Deuteronomy 24, if you get a divorce, you are free to marry another, and she went and married another, that God would really have set her up to be stoned. Oh, now you don't believe that. Why? Because the law of God is good. The law of God is good. The only reason that God makes laws is so that man can live in some form of righteousness and be blessed. But Jesus says that you, that when they marry, they would commit adultery. So you got to realize that they might not have committed adultery here, but Jesus said, even if they marry, you just know that it's adultery because you know what they're going to do. So Jesus says, they get married, and as soon as they go to the tent, when they come out, there's a whole group of people that could stone them and be justified because that's what happens to adulterers. Is that right? Is that right, Philip? Huh? Absolutely. That's what happens to adulterers. So for God to... No, it doesn't happen now, Phyllis, because... Yeah, back, yeah. When, but when Jesus makes this statement. So we realize that nobody in the Jewish community, if that was true, would ever have enough lack of common sense to marry. Right? It'd be better to sneak off like the woman caught in adultery and take your chances. It's truth. Not, not that you should ever have any sexual relationships outside of the uh, designed covenant of marriage that is male and female in the eyes of God. But Jesus said that, you know what? Whosoever marrieth her that is put away doth commit adultery. Okay, what does that word adultery mean? You still think it means? Huh? What, Phyllis? You're right. The word adultery in this passage of Scripture has nothing to do with sexual relationship. If God said a man or a woman can marry then when they marry, it is a holy thing. So Jesus uses the word adultery because withdrawing from your faith, which she and he would be forced to do. If she wanted to marry again, have children, whatever it was, she would have to commit apostasy which is adultery, 
which is a drawing away of the faith that was once delivered her. What was her faith? Till death do we part. Now, she is forced into this situation. So would, it would be kind of interesting that if Phyllis and I lived back there and I just wanted to get rid of Phyllis and not have to split my assets, you could be put away. And then I know that you just end up being stoned. I don't know what the alimony laws was back then, but they probably were not too strict. <laughs> but do you understand that when God says they could get a divorce, then now listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. This is why there is so much Scripture that cannot be revealed to the body of Christ because there is a lack of of love. We don't love our wives as Christ loved the church. You know, we, we don't love our brothers. We, we don't do any of that. So what happens is when you talk about something like this and you say, well, there's nothing bad in divorce. Now, about the time you say that, everybody that wants something they don't have thinks it's all right to get a divorce. No, it's not all right to get divorced because you have motive, you have intent, you have degrees of the hardness of the heart, the searing of your conscience, and all of that is in play when you put away a woman or a husband for any reason other than fornication. Now, you have that right to do so. But love should constrain you not to do so. Now, if I said, well, you know, I think God allows divorce. If I would just say that, every Christian that was disgruntled with their spouse would start attending our church next week. But see, you can't preach that stuff because men are not governed by the love that God wants our hearts to be filled with. Love never thinks any evil. Love always believes the best. Are you even doing those basic things to your spouse? Well, that's required. And so love should do that. But when the body of Christ doesn't walk in love, there are so many half-truths that we are living off of that we never really get to the depth of walking in the intimacy of the purity of truth. Because you've heard that old story, you can't handle the truth. In one sense, that's very true about the body of Christ is because they can't bear the burdens of others, but they can spread rumors and criticize 
them about it. Confess your faults one to another, yet men are struggling and women are struggling in the secret places of their own homes because you can't trust half the church. You, they say things like this. Now, I'm going to tell you, don't you tell anybody else. Well, you just become a liar because you told them you wouldn't. And you couldn't even wait till the words got lukewarm that you run over and spill your brother's faults. And you would act all spiritual. And we're supposed to say, I won't. And you know, dog well, you're about to lie too. Because you already got people lined up you can't wait to fill with garbage. Now, I say all that to say this. We have got to be careful about condemning people that are operating in the boundaries of what God said they could do when we don't know why they did it. We don't know why people get divorced. Say, well, well, she just didn't do this or he didn't do that. Well, they might not have. But we don't know where they've come from. I haven't walked in their shoes. I haven't lived their life. Lincoln was a working uh, at, at a job, and uh, they said to him, uh, how come you come in here so happy every day? He said, it's just Jesus. And the lady said, well, you know what? I don't believe in God. Lincoln said, why? Well, because a God that you talk about would never have allowed what happened to me as a child to happen. Now, that's terrible. But she had been divorced several times. See, you might think that, well, it's just this. This is why. This is why. Nothing is just this is why. You have to know the whole story. So, divorce is a terrible thing because it's born out of the hardness of people's hearts. But it is not the basis of a Christian experiencing death in the fellowships that they're a part of, the assemblies that they're a part of, the families that they're a part of. None of that should cause death. But what it does, it does cause apostasy. People have to back up from the faith that they held dear. Now, their faith may never be repaired enough for them to stand in that place again to believe that God brought them someone to be faithful.
I don't know if it'll ever get there again. But it wasn't God's best. It wasn't their best. But it happened. We need to be more understanding than we are critical of people walking in places that they did not ever intend to walk in. So, that word adultery means apostasy. They are forced to go contrary to the faith that was once delivered them from the Scriptures. And what does that do? It causes us, the further back from God we get, the colder we get. Like lukewarm people, you ever think that in a revelation, they got up and said, wow, I just feel like uh, my fires went out today. No. You think that uh, they got up and said, well, you know, everybody goes through seasons. I don't feel like going to church today. No. You think they uh, said, well, you know, uh, it's just not the same. Well, you know, I'm tired. I've heard it. I've heard it. Nothing ever happens. So, you know, we go back to the old Adam and Eve syndrome. You got to blame somebody for your problems because you're not courageous enough to face them yourself. Yep. I'd have said, God... It was a woman that thou gavest me. If you give me another one, I'll try it again. But Adam, remember, still had a lot of the wisdom of God. And he said, no, I've had a taste of one. I don't want another one. But he loved Eve. Now, let's go over to uh, these backslidings, these sliding back are things that you and I need to be aware of. We need to be aware that the devil is always trying to throw water on our fire. Amen? And sometimes we have to close off the fellowship place of the water spigot that we have allowed ourselves to become contaminated with and people should have a good report around you just because they know you could be discouraged amen all right let's go to uh, Matthew uh, no let's go to 2 Peter 2 20 2 Peter 2 20 Remember, this is the doctrine of worsening. It connects to many other doctrines, the doctrine of paucity, uh, the doctrine of lukewarmness, the doctrine of backsliding. It connects to many of them. So we have to be aware. Somebody say, be aware. Most of the time, we are not aware until we are enslaved again to those things that we once were freed of by the blood of Christ. 
I visited a young man the, last week. He was a he had an infection in his body. He has been a drug addict for over probably 49 years. Tried to be free, tried to be all of that, but he has never been able to get free. Say, well, he ought to got saved. Yep, I wish he'd have got saved and Christians like you and I would have been around him to understand his struggle and help him go forward. But there's not many people like you and I. Most people would brand him, put a tag on him, drug abuser, drug addict, you know, good for nothing, no temper, no self-control, all types of, you know, good spiritual words. This young man had an infection in his body that had eaten up through his spinal cord from the fourth to the tenth vertebra was almost eaten through. And the doctor told him, when that breaks, you're going to die. He said, won't be anything we can do for you. He said, all of the fluid through your spine and out of your brain is going to run out on that bed that you're on right now, and you're going to die. Well, hallelujah. So I went down, prayed with him, led him to the Lord, and uh, he said, I, I wish that I would have got saved when I was young. He said, I think I'd have been a preacher. I said, well, you know, you aren't dead yet. So the doctor comes in. The doctor says, I tell you what, I'm going to take you in tomorrow, and I'm going to put rods down your back, and I'm going to fuse them together. I'm going to hold that spine together. And he said, and as soon as you are able, we're going to take you to an old folks' home, and that old folks' home is going to have you for three months. You're going to go through rehab three times a day. And let me say this to you. There is no morphine. There is no pain help for you because of your past. He said, and you are going to be in excruciating pain 24 hours a day. He said, I'm not going to pull any punches with you. If you don't do it, you will not make it. Three months of excruciating pain and rehab, three times a day. And, of course, we prayed, and I've got people going down every day, stopping in and laying hands on him and praying that, God, this pain is not going to rule his life. And his pain's been down to five and below, which is great. The night that he had the surgery, they got him up out of bed and walked him down the hallway. He said, I can take it. But that young man, 49 years, a drug addict, 
no teeth, bag of bones. I knew his mother. She was a praying woman. But he, his children said, every time he gets here that he's going to die, he gets saved. I said, well, what would you do? Just say, well, you know, I'm, I think I'll just go to hell. You know, I've asked God too many times, are you kidding me? But I'm here to tell you that he'd had more than one chance. As he started sharing with me, he would take his wife to the drug dealer's house and trade her for drugs. He felt horrible at this moment in juncture in his life. But when you begin to dabble in things that you once were free from, don't think that they're going to come back with the same force that they had over you the first time. They're going to come back with intensity. Matthew, the 12th chapter, verse 43 on down 46 says, when the unclean spirit is going out of man, he goes out and he looks for places to dwell. He walks out in the dry places, but he finds no comfort. So what he says is this, hey, I'm going to go back to my old house, and I'm going to see if there's not room enough for me to sneak in there. And the Bible says that he comes. He doesn't come along, and he comes with seven other demons stronger than he is. And he comes, and he finds the house ungarnished. In other words, there has been negligence. There has been a lack of prayer, of fellowship, of study, diligence, tenacity. And what has happened is now he's just lackadaisical. His salvation has lost its value. Eternity seems like a myth. But this spirit comes back with seven other spirits, and he finds holes in that house. And they come in, and those seven other spirits come in with an agreement to be subject, to have fellowship, to be in communication and partnership as long as they get to use and destroy this human life. Would that be like men casting lots for your robe? Much like it. Second Peter 2.20, and it says, For if after they have escaped, the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, our Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again, again entangled. 
therein and overcome. You got to fight when the devil shows up again. And it says the latter end is worse than the beginning. Now, this is the second scripture. The first scripture was Matthew, the 12th chapter. And that, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, allows us to declare it a doctrine. And it says, for if it had been, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known the way to turn from the holy commandments and delivered that were delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now, we certainly don't want to think how we think about, like, dogs vomit and don't even realize what it is doesn't realize how vile it is, and they turn around and eat it. We would never do that except in a drunken stupor. But it is possible to walk in the way of righteousness and to turn from it. Baal walked in the ways of righteousness until he tasted of the reward of unrighteousness. And then he desired the unrighteous reward. How about Enoch? He walked with God, had favor with his father, next in line to be blessed. He sold his right standing for a bowl of porridge. Let's look at Romans, the first chapter, and I think it's verse 21. It says, And because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, the imagination simply means their thoughts, the things they entertained in their mind. And it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust that was in their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Notice that God gave them up to uncleanness because they did not keep God as the primary source of their life. And it says, who changed the truth of God into a lie? and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this cause God gave them up unto a vile affections, for 
Even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their own lust one towards another, men with men working that which is unseemingly and receiving in themselves that which recompense to their own heir which was met. Even as they did not like to retain God, in their knowledge, and gave, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which seemed not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, the full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, uh, malignity, uh, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, Despise, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things and disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing, what's this? Who knowing the judgment of God and that which committed such things are worthy of death, not only do they do the same, but they have pleasure in them. Don't go back and start doing things that you know God will not accept. The Bible says they held righteousness. Remember 2 Peter 1.20 said they held the righteousness of God in unrighteousness. So you and I have to realize that God gave us righteousness to walk in. He gave us things to do to protect ourselves. Now, you can get worse, and you can say, oh, yeah, well, I'm just a backslider. Horrible place to be. If I was on that slippery slide, I'm telling you, I'd claw my way back to where I once was. Because you will, maybe not today, <coughs> excuse me, maybe not today, but maybe tomorrow, things will find themselves settled back right where you were before you were delivered from your sin. It can get worse. And there is a doctrine that warns us, don't do so. Don't be negligent. Don't put off today what needs to be done today. Do it. Commit yourself to living for God. There's only one thing that the devil wants to do when he comes to try you or to tempt you, is to lead you away from God so that you are easy pickings so that he can take his unrightful rule over your life, over your life. Every head bowed, please. You're here tonight. Maybe you're somewhere in this conglomeration of illustrations and sets of people that we talked about. 
And maybe you just need to say, God, I'm not where I was. I'm not doing what I used to do. God, I'm not living the righteousness that you revealed to me. God, tonight, tonight, I just asked you, God, to stir me, to reconnect with me, God. I repent, God, if I've committed any sins in this slippery, backward motion. I ask God that you would just kindle me, and God, I will be faithful. I will be faithful. Holy Ghost, come, lead me, guide me. Speak very loudly and clearly to me that I will walk in the steps that you lead me in, that I will con constantly, no matter how small, how big, I will give God the glory even for the breath that I breathe. God, help me. Don't let me stay in the state that I built for myself. God, I throw myself upon the merciful working of Christ. Now, God, help me rebuild me for your glory. God, I thank you for it. I denounce all hidden works of darkness, all unfaithfulness, all rebellion, all disobedience, God. Father, I thank you. I thank you that your mercies are new every day. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. All righty. See you Sunday morning. Hallelujah.